The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, number 55, for May 30th, 2006. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I'm here with John Braun, of course. I'm Dave Hamilton. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. How are you this evening? Oh, it, cool, but I was hot. Yeah, that's right. Almost as hot as Red Fishbone. As you know what we're talking about <laughs> right in. Yeah, because we don't know. Uh, how hot is Red Fishbone anyway? <laughs> well, that's why we need someone to write in. That's right. If you have any idea, it's something from our past. That that's right. So the, the ADD will take over this evening as we uh, traipse through all sorts of different topics. We have the, the mailbag is just overflowing. Uh, I can guarantee we won't get to everything that's in it. Don't let that stop you from sending things in, though. Uh, MacGeekGab at MacObserver.com, of course, is your place to comment, question, query, and provide sage advice for, uh, for those of us that need it. Uh, we've got all kinds of topics to go through, but the first thing I want to talk about is something that showed up at my house occasionally, as you all know. Uh, things just show up here uh, at the uh, slash house slash office. I guess there wouldn't be a slash in front of it unless you just wanted to put one there, but I guess it looks kind of cool something. Uh, on Friday, just before we headed out for the weekend, we headed over to uh, Vermont for the Memorial Day weekend here in the U.S., and the uh, box that showed up said that it contained the coolest thing I would ever see from my iPod, and it actually was pretty cool. Spec had sent me a Spectone Retro, and for those of you, I guess it was officially released today, the 30th, and mm-hmm. uh, for those of you that haven't seen this thing, it is um, yet another, of course, in, in the line of speaker systems for your iPod, uh, or, or really anything. Uh, it's got a... Uh, it's an all-in-one, so it's got two uh, little uh, drivers in it, and then a subwoofer actually underneath, a, a third speaker underneath. The coolest thing about this, well, there's actually a lot of cool things about it, John. One of the cool things, of course, is the way that it looks, and you can see that. I'm sure Michael will put a uh, a picture of it here in the in the enhanced feed at the moment. Uh, but it, it's got this whole, like, you know, looks like something I would have expected to find in my grandmother's kitchen. Uh, retro? Is yeah. it retro? It's very retro, like way retro. It's this green and brown. Well, there's actually three colors. The one they sent me is is uh, white, actually. Uh, but the one, the, the best picture here, I think, to me, is the, the green and brown one where it's got this, you know, old, like pale green in, enclosure and then uh, a, a brown grill. And there's one single knob in the middle of the front of it that's backlit uh, that controls the volume. <clears throat> Does it have tubes? Uh, no, I don't it's believe not that retro. it. No, but it is made of wood, believe it or not. Ooh, okay, um, that's rare. It is rare. I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think, it, you know, there, there might be one or two others on the market that are, are made of wood, but of course, all the rest are just, you know, some sort of acrylic, plastic, sort of oil based thing. Uh, and so I, I just, I didn't even open it. I mean, I opened the packing box, saw it, threw it in the car, and said, well, hey, we're heading up to my uh, parents' condo in Vermont this weekend. Uh, I, you know, we'll have the iPods with us, of course, and we'll try it out up there because, you know, there's always need for sonic enhancement in the uh, in the room. 
so we got there and it was one of the first things I impacted and I, I plugged it in. It, like I said, it's all in one. So there's just one little power connector that you, you fire up. It's got a dock connector for the iPod in the top as well as a uh, eighth, uh, eighth inch stereo mini plug on the back. But uh, I just popped the iPod in the top and fired it up. Now, it's small. It's, you know, maybe what, about 14 inches uh, wide and, uh, you know, six or seven inches deep. So and, and it's one piece. So you can't split it out to get a true stereo effect. But if, you know, if you kind of take the boombox mentality where, OK, we're going to have this all in one thing that's just going to, you know, make noise for me. This thing does great. I, I put it underneath. They've got like a little TV stand. I put it underneath the TV, uh, you know, on, on the bottom shelf of the stand because there was a there was room there. And I fired it up and man, it filled the condo with sound and I cranked it all the way up. It didn't distort and it, it sounded really good. Now, you know, the only place you're going to get a good stereo image from the thing, of course, is directly in front of it. Move, you know, two feet off to either side and, and stereo is non-existent. But if you're just looking to play music, it actually sounds really good. Now, it looks uh, like it has a subwoofer, uh, yeah, subwoofer right. and two, uh, and two drivers. 28, 28 watt speakers. Uh, I think it's 28 watts here. total, I think, for all three speakers from, from what I gather here. Uh, but, uh, like I said, it sounded great. So of course, you know, we used it all weekend. Uh, when we got home back to the office here, of course I had to bring it up to the studio and compare it to the, the a fives, the audio engines that, uh, that we were talking about there for a while. And it, you know, it, like I said, the a fives, they're two separate speakers. So you split those apart, much better stereo image of course from from things that are further apart than these speakers which i think are you know probably at best 10 inches apart from each other but you know walking to the other side of the room these things sound almost as good and it's all it's 150 bucks uh it's all in one easy to carry around not not the same amount of low end as the a5s not to me but uh, enough for for most folks and uh I, you know i i actually really I, I thought it was really cool i didn't know what to think when uh when the thing arrived, I thought, "Oh man, who knows?" You know, because mm-hmm. you never know. But uh, like I said, I, I was I was impressed that the the amp and the speakers are very well matched to one another, and that that really helps keep it from distorting. Uh, obviously, when you you know when you crank the thing way up, and it it filled the it filled the room with a real warm sound, and uh, I I liked it. I, I have to have to say, it's uh, nice. Yeah, so you had a new toy for for the weekend. That's yeah, good. exactly. Yeah, I I uh, I got to check out the uh, the new Apple Store in Manhattan. I visited uh, my uh, friends Josh and Abby out in Manhattan, and we happened to go by there. The, the glass cube's not quite as big as uh, as one would think, but it's still okay. okay. Very nice, you know, really nice spiral. And the, the place is huge underground. There are just tons of Apple people there to help people out. I was I was very impressed. I got to uh, fiddle with a uh, iBook. Um, I'm sorry, MacBook. <laughs> the new one, uh, yep. great to type on, um, and it is a little toasty underneath there. Okay, it's a little yeah. warm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I had some excitement there today, or or within the last couple of days, some people got stuck in the elevator. Yeah, I saw that. That's right. Yeah, well, you know, it's bound to happen, <laughs> <Oops>. right? <laughs> Beautiful store, though. It's a primo location, open all day, all night. Uh, so if you're uh, in Manhattan, definitely, uh, definitely check it out. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, I guess we will move on to some of our topics here. I'm just trying to get a sense of where we are in the show. Oh, we're doing just fine. 
Um, I don't know that we'll get to a whole lot of new stuff, so we're just kind of we're going to kind of go backwards this evening, and uh, we'll start with wrapping up some conversations that we have been having, uh, specifically this one about auto mounting. Hello, Dave and John. This is Buddy Inglet coming to you from Katy, Texas. Enjoy the show. You guys are doing a great job. I listen to you every chance I get. Um, hey, listen, uh, Dave's always asking for uh, audio comments. Indeed. So, uh, I thought I'd use this system that I've got and oblige him. Thank uh, you. Back in Podcast 53, you had a question from a guy named John about auto mounting a volume. And you gave uh, a quite detailed uh, procedure uh, involving an Apple script and uh, sounded a little complicated and, quite frankly, a little scary for somebody like me. So uh, I thought I'd share with you the way I do something like that. Um, Well, you start by mounting the volume as you would normally through a network in the Finder window or uh, Connect to Server in the Go menu. Once you've got that volume mounted and the icons on your desktop, you would uh, control-click that icon and choose Make Alias. Now you've got an alias on your desktop. Now you can keep that there. You can put it wherever you wherever you want to keep it. But anytime you'll double-click that alias now, uh, that volume will automatically mount uh, without having to go through the username and password procedure and all the other things that you, that you have to do uh, to get to that particular volume. Makes it quite easy to open. Now, if you want that thing to automatically mount each time uh, your system starts up, then you just go to uh, Preferences, your Account Preferences, uh, click the Login Items button, then uh, the Add button, and navigate to that alias and now every time your system starts up, that volume's automatically mounted. Pretty easy. Uh, I use it all the time here at home and at work. And uh, quite frankly, it's pretty simple. Thank you very much, buddy. And as and many of you pointed out, you can also take that alias and drag it down to the right-hand side of your dock and store it there to make it even easier to access and keep your desktop clutter-free. So... That's the. Uh, I, I think we've. I think we've run the gamut on the on the auto mounting options, um, and now it's time to move on to the printer discussion, the printer driver discussion, which kind of started last week. Um, well, we'll start here and and move on. Hey, Dave and John, this is Peter calling from Germany again. Hey, your tip with the spotlight search and the mail maintenance was really great. Excellent. It works way better now. However. You encouraged me to send in my problems, so here I am again. I have a problem with my HP DeskJet printer. There are two ways that I can hook it up to my PowerBook G4. I can attach it via USB. That's, of course, the easiest way. But I have a Revo um, router that can work as a print server as well. And I can attach the um, HP printer using the USB cable to that one and then um, my Mac can talk to it as a IP printer. However, there is a little confusion about the drivers that I can use with that. If I plug in the USB cable directly, then I get the, I think it's written from HP, the original HP driver, 
which has all those um, features uh, with maintenance and uh, monitoring of the ink capacity and all that and the print quality is really great however if I use it as a IP printer attached to my router and print server um, I can only select the uh, GIMP print um, driver and this gives uh, way worse results unfortunately and um, I have not managed to um, assign the HP printer driver to the IP printer. If there is any way to do that um, I would really love it because the print quality and especially the print speed is really bad using that GIMP print driver. Well, however, I still love your show. Listen to every one of it. Take care. Bye-bye. You want to take that one, John? Huh. huh. I'll give some comments, but I think okay. we have the... Uh, um, I tried to reproduce it because I do have uh, uh, an HP DeskJet 990 CSE, which is um, yeah, okay. you know, definitely not the latest. And I have, so so, so I could reinforce what, what he said. Um, I have two different entries in my uh, printer list. And okay. I have noticed the same thing. Now, it's, it's strange, and I think you can expand on this, because I think you, you, you have a bit more hands-on or work with the latest ones. Yep. I have either direct USB or through their uh, HP's wireless print server. And okay. I did notice Similar that setup, you, yeah. you do not get um, things like ink level and all that. I get that with the USB. Right. So I did notice there's enhanced functionality. Um, now, the strange thing is that when I went into my printer utility and I highlight either one... Um, or in the printer list, you can get info on each printer. And the funny thing here, and maybe you could explain this, Dave, <laughs> is that if I go to printer model, like some of the other printers I have, like I also have a uh, IP, uh, you know, a GCC laser printer, that shows up and actually lets me change the printer model. But I'm looking here at both my HP entries, and when I select printer model, I see it, but it's grayed out and I can't change it. <laughs> so that's why I was kind of scratching my head over that one. Yeah, um, I, I do have a way to change some of my other printers, but not this one. So I'm not quite sure why. Now you indicated something different, and I'll let you uh, let you pick it up here. But there's there's a definite difference between a wireless or a print server and a direct USB connection uh, as far as the things you can do. Well, yeah, I, I I really think it comes down to the way the drivers are written. Uh, you're yeah. absolutely right. There are certain things that are not translated over. Uh, you know, the the IP printing um, protocol isn't exactly the same as USB. Now, there's nothing that says a printer couldn't potentially share its ink level and other status information over IP, but the printer needs to be built to do that. And the print server needs to be built to do that for that particular printer. In most cases, of course, that's not going to happen. So the you know USB, you get a whole lot more functionality. There there are some printers out there that are you know printers and scanners, and if you connect them up connect them up IP via one of these things, they'll work just fine as a printer. But you you just don't even see that there's an option of scanning, and it's because the the device, the router, the print server, whatever you want to call it, doesn't know to to offer that as an option. It's just not there. Um, so, you know, for example, I've got a Lexmark, uh, a T420, a, a networkable laser printer. And back actually almost a year ago when I was having all those problems with the uh, power outages and, and the lightning strikes, the ethernet port on that thing blew out. Previously, I could access everything I needed because I was talking directly to the printer over the network. Now, you know, with the ethernet port gone, I had to use, I think similar to what you're using there, John, an HP print server 
to talk to the printer USB. And now I'm not able to do a lot of those things because really what I'm talking to is the print server. And then that's translating back and forth to the printer. But it makes things like choosing the paper tray and that sort of thing sort of sort of wishy-washy. The other issue, of course, is the drivers, the software. The software, you know, the uh, especially with these HPs, and my guess is with others, that the software is written to talk over USB. As soon as it, it sees that the printer is not USB, it's not even an option. So you're forced to choose what's called the GIMP uh, printer drivers, which is a, a Unix standard print driver. And again, it depends on what the open source community has done for that particular printer. In uh, in Peter's case, the the you know the GIMP driver for his particular printer not so good, and uh, and and then that's that. You know, there's there's no other option unless, of course, you plug in directly. But you lose some, you know, you lose the freedom of printing wirelessly or over your network from there. So mm-hmm. that's the uh, that's my story. Do we have an answer? What's that? We had a story. <laughs> I had a story. Yeah. Well, there's no, there is no answer. I mean, the answer is you're right. The the printer driver does not work. That printer driver cannot be connected to an IP based printer. It's simply not meant to do that. And again, the the print server isn't built to handle all the enhanced calls that are going back and forth through it. So that's the uh, that's the issue there. Okay. Now, similar, just general advice, similar to the uh, the Canon issue that we had um, mm. a little while ago. Um, you know, check the firmware for right. the print server, for the printer, and the print driver. Because actually, with the Canon thing, it sounded like it, it was kind of. We saw the uh, a thread on the Apple uh, support area that talked about it. Yeah. And there were mixed. Some people said, "Yeah, I updated the firmware and the in the wireless thing, and that worked." Some other people said, "Yes, I updated the uh, print driver, and everything was great." It, it was very hard to pick out exactly what a consistent solution was because some there was some, none. Uh, it, from what a couple folks sent in, uh, there there's a discussion thread that we'll post in the show notes. That there's just simply there is an incompatibility similar to what Peter describes here. There's just an incompatibility between what Canon's doing and what's happening on the wireless router. Again, it, it's it's not a one for one. You know, you don't get a hundred percent of your data back and forth across the uh, the wireless print servers, and and you just got to accept that. So if you are considering going the wireless print server route, investigate it first. Do some searches. Do some searches on the Apple discussion boards if you're going to buy an airport router. Uh, that does it and just see what people are saying about it. You'll find different mm-hmm. printers will do it, uh, you know, at different success levels. So, or check with, you know, check with the vendor. I think almost every vendor now offers some sort of either uh, Bluetooth. I've seen the Bluetooth deal or, yep. uh, and let me do it differently. I, I haven't actually tried a Bluetooth printer. That's something I don't know if you have, uh, you know, I, I've tried them over the years. I've got a, what was it? The, the, there's a there's a 970 or 990 series HP that that supports mm-hmm. Bluetooth. Um, I've tried it a couple of times and had limited success. But you know, as Tiger gets enhanced with with different Bluetooth options and or with different Bluetooth printing options, uh, it may it may be better now. I honestly have not tried it in, in quite some time. So, so you want to get the most out of it? Stick a wire. There you go. Yeah, that's the answer. Yeah, because that's what the printers are built for. You can't expect these printer manufacturers. You know, this is it's similar to what what's happened on Windows, right? On the Windows side of things, 
It's yeah. not all built by the same company. You know, it, it, oh, yeah. it's, you know, different drivers being built by third parties trying to stitch it all together. And you're not going to get optimal performance unless you do it exactly the way they did it in the lab when they wrote those drivers. So, mm-hmm. uh, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll take one new question because, of course, this comes from our favorite PR guru, David Parmet. Hi, Dave and John. This is David Parmet of MarketingBeginsAtHome.com with a question. I'm a small business owner, and uh, I own a MacBook Pro, and I uh, already have AppleCare on it, but I'm thinking about getting a Mac ProCare card for $99 a year, and uh, I was wondering if you gentlemen think it's worth it. Thanks a lot. What do you think, John? Who's he talking about? Oh, (laughs) For, for those gotcha. of you that, that don't know, yeah, the ProCare card allows you to, I, I guess, make appointments uh, in advance, right, up to seven days in advance at, at uh, your local Apple store, and also gets you effectively unlimited, you know, uh, geek support there at the at the Genius Bar. Um, yeah, it but, looks pretty good, and I, I've seen this yeah. happen, actually, again, with my pals Josh and Abby one time. They, uh, you know, they had something wrong with their iBook. Okay. And we're like, oh, well, there's the Soho store before the other store. And we're like, well, let's try to get online. And uh, you, you got to, you know, it's like a dog pile in the morning is that, uh, you know, there's a certain hour after which they'll accept, you know, appointments from anybody. Uh, and if you're, not, if you're not right in there, I mean, there's tons of other people and they are not going to pay attention to you unless you have an appointment. Um, the ProCare card, of course, gets you, uh, you know, you can schedule, r- reserve a spot. So... Um, especially if you're in an area where the Genius Bar is mobbed. Yeah. Um, which, you know, especially the stores in Manhattan. And I would imagine most of the other stores. Yeah. Um, then that that in and of itself, uh, you know, could just save you a lot of, uh, you know, aggravation. Um, I see they have a bunch of other, you know, really nice things here. Uh, a yearly tune-up. Yep. That's right. Um, you know, so uh, that, that certainly sounds like a good thing. Uh, but the, the reservations... Um, Sound good. Now, what else? And uh, they, they do some personal training. They'll they'll sit down with you and go through some of the basic stuff. I mean, they're not going to sit down and teach you Final Cut Pro, but uh, mm-hmm. they will walk you through sending email and uh, you know some of the more basic stuff. But again, uh, you know that for ninety nine bucks, uh, let me tell you, if you were to hire me to you know when I was doing that stuff full time, I was charging a hundred bucks an hour, and most visits were taking a couple of hours. So, uh, you know. One visit from someone. Now, of course, you have to go to the store. They're not coming to your home, but still, mm-hmm. uh, you know, most visits, uh, you know, it's half, the ProCare card is half the price of one of those of a, of a tech visit to your house. And if you've got mm-hmm. a laptop, well, hey, you know, what's the difference? Just take it to the store. Of course, you might have to, you know, drag your printer and your airport router in mm-hmm. if you're having a problem like Peter was. But hey, you know, yeah, it's and only a hundred bucks. Uh, hundred bucks a year, I guess, right? Yeah, and and I see they have a transfer service that looks nice too. So it says, you know, if you buy a Mac, they'll transfer all your existing stuff over. So yeah, it sounds but, like, but we all know that that's really easy to do the transfer, right? With the migration assistant. There you go. Yes, but that's right. fine. Hey, more power to them. Oh, where the heck are we going to go from here? All right. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about uh, one one topic that that seems to be getting a lot of attention here, and and we're not going to ignore this from from now forward, but kind of wanted to lay some ground rules here was the macbook pro and and of course macbook heat discussion that we've been having and sort of has been happening across the web john and i sort of talked a little bit about this uh offline offline is that the right term off podcast i guess is the is the right way to say that i'm not sure 
and it, you know, th- it, there's it's very easy to get hung up on the numbers. You, you know, there's there's uh, you can measure temperature everywhere. You, you you can download Core Duo Temp and measure the temp- temperature of your processor. You can measure the temperature of your hard drive. We all agree, and 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 I'm not here to apologize for Apple, but we all agree that things run hot, arguably hotter than they should, but they run hot. Uh, and and John, you know, ran in. You ran into this with your uh, with one of the first PowerBooks you owned, right? I mean, it. Oh yeah, and it actually got hot in the wrist area where where you put right. your palm. So uh, it wasn't just a lap issue. It was like, you know, when you use the machine, assuming that you put your palms on the, uh, you know, to either side of the touchpad, right. which uh, I think most people do when they're typing, that that to me was a more serious issue. The lap thing, uh, you know, we uh, in the last show notes there, we covered a number of products that can uh, protect yep. you from that. Yep. Um, so, you know, the, the thing is, if it... it Yes, it runs hot, and and you can we can go nuts all day talking about well, you know, mine runs at somewhere between sixty and seventy degrees centigrade, or yours runs between seventy five and eighty five. They run hot. Will Apple fix this? Not currently. It doesn't seem like there's a, a blanket fix for this currently. Will they hmm. eventually? Well, it, it it's been shown by some enterprising folks that we've talked about that you know have taken this thing apart and done some modifications to the way the thermal grease is applied that they can get it to run cooler not a ton cooler but you know they've got it running down in the 50s as opposed to the high 60s 10 degrees centigrade that's significant you know especially if it's burning your hand so yeah that that's good you know are the fans coming on enough maybe so maybe not it's it's uh, you know down to personal preference for me it doesn't bother me a whole lot because most of the time i'm using it connected to a separate mouse keyboard and and display so and it's sitting on one of those cool pads uh and and venting so it's not a big deal i've never had mine lock up however many of you have written in and said look you know i I use it. I'm running, you know, either a game that's that's you know pegging the processor, or you know some graphics app that's pegging the processor, audio, whatever. And after a period of time, it locks up. That's bad. You know, if that's happening, you need to make a big stink. Either bring it into your Apple Store and show them that yes, look, it locks up because that shouldn't happen. I'm not hearing a lot of that, but I'm hearing some of it right from from the from the listeners here. So if if that's happening, I think, you know, you need to swap it out or at least send it in and have them take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I know some of you have written in and said, look, it's been in and it comes back worse. Well, make a stink. You know, John, I'll let John attest to the fact that making a stink makes a difference, right? I mean, what did you get when you made a stink with Apple about your and you didn't make a you weren't a pest. Well, you weren't. I was patient. You, you were patient and polite. pleasant. You were polite. <laughs> there you go. But after seven exchanges, they were losing money every time they talked to me. And the guy was like, we're giving you a new machine because right. we're just not able to fix this problem. I mean, I think they try to do the right thing, but I think they're, they're not going to entertain. It's too hot. Right. But if it's too hot, and it, like I saw one um, thing on the web where it got hot and they got the equivalent of the Windows blue screen of death. Right. You know, the screen that says, you know, hold down you know re- something bad happened in multiple languages which is nice you know hold yeah. down the power button yeah if that happens when it gets hot then that that's a problem you know, that, that should not happen yes symptom uh now there are a few things uh, I, w- I would suggest you know if you do want to cool things down the one thing you could do which i think would cool it down is if you do go to uh system preferences energy saver there is a reduced 
processor yeah. performance setting yeah. and the options, I would think that would probably make it run a little cooler. There's another thing I read about, too. Apparently, a small number of machines had a little um, piece of plastic that I think is normally placed um, in front of the vents during manufacture. Really? And, uh, uh, we'll get a link to this. And apparently, some machines got shipped with that not being taken off at the right point in time. Interesting. But it was blocking the air vents. Huh. Which, yes, that would probably make you run. I'm guessing, that, is, you know, just, I'm guessing that's not widespread, though, right? I, I had no, no, I, no. I mean, okay. I saw, you know, there were pictures, and a few oh, okay. people said, yeah, that happened to me, but then, you know, it's, you know, a couple out of. And, you know, like, like we mentioned before, I mean, the, this, you know, problems with Apple get put under a microscope that yes. get magnified beyond. <laughs> It's just that it could be a couple of, you know, people that are really squawking. Now, if, if there are enough problems, then Apple has to do something about it. It's uh, yeah. Well, and it, like I said, I mean, if your machine is running to the point where it's locking up and, and you're not, you know, burying it in pillows or something. I mean, if you've got it vented enough, you know, to a, a point that that would seem reasonable and it's locking up, that's a huge problem that, that should not be happening. And, and unfortunately, you know, what it's going to cost you is time because you're going to need to get Apple back on the phone or you're going to need to bring it back down to the store and be nice about it. You know, tell them my favorite thing to say is, listen, man, you got to save my life today. And you know, you say that Mm -hmm. to someone and instantly people, we all, well, I guess, I'll make a blanket statement here. We all like to help each other, right? So if you go in and you act like a jackhole and, <laughs> y- you know, the, the guy's not going to want to help you. He's going to do the bare minimum required to serve the function of his job and get you out of there. But if you go in and you're really nice and you say, listen, man, I really need you to help me out. This is driving me crazy. If you act exasperated, which you probably are at this point anyway, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if, you know, maybe cry a little. Who knows? Uh, that will get them on your side. That's what you want. You need them on your side. And once you do that, uh, you know, if, if your machine's locking up and you can prove it, or at least make someone believe it over the phone, then yeah, you know, they're, they're going to take it back in, and hopefully, they're going to fix it. Now, you got to remember again, these machines are are, are brand new, so. It wouldn't surprise me if it takes more than one trip in uh, for this stuff to to get sorted out as Apple's support people figure it out. Is that right? No. Is it the way that it is? Well, seems to be, you know. (laughs) Uh, Remember, we said right out of the gate, don't buy one of these things if you're not ready to to deal with uh, the bleeding edge because that's where it is. So, Mm -hmm. And I will attest to the fact that the crying thing works because I've seen Dave do it. When he's bawling like a baby, it is pathetic. <laughs> All right, next. What else we got? Hey, John and Dave. It is I, Michael, a.k.a. Computer Nap. Hey. I'm calling in response to Gary's question about using iTunes and iPhoto over the network where the libraries are stored on a server. This is actually exactly how I have my Mac set up. Now, the way I was able to do this is by first setting up my music library locally and arranging it all the way I want. The next step is to take the folder named iTunes from the music folder in my home directory and copy that over to the server Mac. Next you'll want to go into iTunes Preferences and under Advanced in the General tab where it says iTunes Music Folder Location, click the Change button and point it to the folder labeled iTunes Music located on your server Mac. 
Once that is done, you can go ahead and delete the folder labeled iTunes Music that is stored locally. After quitting out of iTunes, your next step is to then delete the two local iTunes library database files. Those are labeled ituneslibrary.itl and the other itunesmusiclibrary.xml. Now your Mac wants to see those database files stored locally, so we need to trick it by using aliases. To do this, go into your server Mac's network drive and find those two database files you deleted on the local Mac. Highlight them both and drag them into the iTunes folder on the local Mac while holding Apple and Option. Now once that's all done, you can go ahead and open iTunes and you should be able to access all of your music over the network as if it were on your local Mac. All right, and he's got something else to say here, which I will uh, continue with, but I wanted to stop this because I think we're done with that with that thought. Uh, there, there are a couple of things to to make sure of here. When you go into the advanced section to change your uh, iTunes music folder location, you want to make sure that the, the box that says the checkbox that says keep iTunes music folder organized is checked and also copy files to iTunes music folder when adding to library is checked that way when you change the iTunes music folder location uh, I believe doing that will copy everything to the new location uh, if it doesn't it, and you'll know if it does because it'll take some time if it doesn't go to once you've done that go to the advanced menu and choose consolidate library that will definitely do it then you can quit out of iTunes delete the folder and uh, and and continue with Michael's instructions that makes sense to you John yes so that iTunes is uh, keeping everything in order for you. right uh, now the thing is yes that will do this however what I'm not sure about and and I and I I, I would love to hear an answer on this is that will allow you to connect one computer to your shared iTunes library on your file server, whatever, whatever that computer is. What mm -hmm. happens if two people do this, right, and point their iTunes, get their aliases all set up so that everything is – both machines are pointing to this shared library on the server. Can both people have iTunes open at the same time? Because if you can – that's a that's huge. Even if it's not officially supported, obviously it's not officially supported. Uh, but but that's okay. I would I would love to hear from it. Michael if you know. Uh, great if somebody else out there has has tried this and either succeeded or failed. Let us know. MacGeekab at MacObserver dot com. And uh, we'll let we'll let Michael. Uh, do you have anything else to add there, John, or should we let Michael continue? Nope. Okay. Now, I haven't actually done this with iPhoto, but I assume it would work the same way. Got it. Now, I really hope this helps out, and I really hope that it makes sense. It does. Now, I also wanted to remind everybody that if you haven't already heard, this podcast comes in two forms. The standard audio podcast, which most of you are probably listening to right now, and then there is an enhanced feed that I do. Now, the advantage to hearing the enhanced feed over the regular podcast is that in the enhanced podcast there are actually pictures links and even chapters that go along with the entire podcast this means that when something is mentioned in the podcast pictures and links will appear in the album art box of iTunes so you can get some more info on that item or subject it also divides the 45 minute audio file into chapters so you can easily move back and forth through the various topics in the show and that's it. Back to you guys. Thanks, Michael. And I, I wanted to add something. In fact, I had this in here be even before Michael's comment came in. 
last week, you know, we were talking about the, the I, I said, you know, I think I saw somebody that uh, that was holding up a sign uh, in the time-lapse video, something about marry me. And John and I scrubbed quickly while we were doing the show and couldn't find it. Of course, after the show, we scrubbed through and, and found this guy and, and, and then found that there was this huge discussion on the web about it. And, you know, I was just late to the game. Michael for the enhanced feed, which he does, you know, he'll do the feed. Presume we're doing this a day late here. Maybe his schedule's a little different, but normally he does the feed within a couple of hours of us, of us doing it. And then I just upload it to the server and away we go. He actually found the images of this guy and put them in the enhanced feed so that you didn't have to do anything. You just look down and bam, there it was, which might've actually been kind of weird because there we are talking about, well, I think I saw something and bam, there it is in the enhanced feed. Uh, you know, Michael's one step ahead of us. And so kudos to you, Michael. Thank you very much. He does a fantastic job. He does it quick. You'll have it within about 12 hours of the show going live uh, in MP3 format. And for those of you that are, are listening either on your computers or on an iPod where it matters, uh, you can, you know, you can see that stuff. So that's my story. You're sticking to it. I am sticking to it. Yeah. I'm sticky, though. I think this air conditioner, you know, he came back and he charged the system and tightened up and found the leaks and yada, yada, yada. But I don't know. I might have to call him. Yeah. Again. It worked for a couple of days, though. I got to say it was working good. So may- maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm uh, all. Any, any interesting Apple there. news lately? Oh, yeah. You know what? Let's uh, uh-huh. let's talk about that. Let's. Uh, do I even know what I'm doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what I'm doing? We could just right, we'll get that going. Uh, yeah, so the, uh, the the power page ruling came down this week. And, of course, it also included Apple Insider, I believe. It, it, uh, you want to tell them about it, John, since I'm stumbling over my tongue here? <laughs> well, in a nutshell, apparently a couple of um, what some people call rumor sites, who, uh, though they're not all rumor sites, but, but some are. Uh, you know, rumor, sites, rumor sites is a... Definition created, a, it is a notion created by Apple. In every other niche, or even in the, the the world as a whole, there's no such thing as rumor newspapers. In the auto industry, you no, know, there's the National Enquirer. Yeah, okay, maybe you're right. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, but see that that's not that's not rumor either. That's fabricated news. That's just that's plain fiction, right? Everywhere else, what Apple calls rumor sites or rumor publications really is the result of investigative reporting, right? You know, yes, they're not regurgitating what has been publicly released. They're finding out what hasn't been publicly released. Now, are there some are there some pros and cons to and are there some, you know, different grades of this? Absolutely. At TMO, we run we do a lot of investigative reporting. Do we run rumors about new Apple products? Typically, no. You, you know, uh, unless unless there's something that's hard and fast, you know, out there, uh, or, and, or I, and and not just Apple well, products. There are multiple sources, right? I would multiple say. That's sources. Another good strategy. Yeah. If you Absolutely. hear it from multiple places and not just tapes. Hmm. Um. So anyway, to it. so anyway, the the uh, what was it? The uh, sixth district court is my. Do I have that right, John? I don't have the story in front of me. But anyway, uh, sixth appellate district. Uh, or I'm sorry, California Court of Appeals, sixth appellate district. Yeah. So state court, Ruled. California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, I'll go ahead. So, so basically, so here was the thing: is that these guys, um, through whatever means they used, um, 
probably an Apple employee under NDA um, talking when they shouldn't have. These guys basically reported news about a product that Apple did not, as it turns out, as far as I can see, released. And so Apple said, hmm, you know what? We're not very happy about that. And uh, we know that there are some people at Apple that don't like leaks. Yeah. Um, unlike the old days when, remember good old Mac week, or we like to call Mac it Mac leak. week. Yeah. <laughs> so Apple said, hmm, you know, we're not too happy about this. So you, the, now here's the other thing, bloggers or right. journalists who report this, and depending on how you define the individuals, I think they, they felt it would make a difference. But basically, the ruling was, no, you cannot, and, and they tried to go after the ISPs of the uh, people that ran the sites. And right. Well, saying, what Apple you, did was they, they, they sent letters, you know, their attorneys uh, sent letters to these folks, uh, the publishers of, of these various uh, online magazines, and said, you need to tell us where you got this information from. You need to divulge your source. And then they went after the ISPs and said, we need all the email records for that, you know, for that domain, whether mm-hmm. they existed or not. I mean... If you asked me for email records for someone at TMO server, it would be like, well, we don't have them. You know, we don't store that stuff. It just passes on through. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, uh, go ahead. I think the, the bottom line is they said that you, as a journalist, um, do not have to reveal your source. Right. Yes, it was bad that someone said something they shouldn't have, but the journalist is not the one that... Uh, through a shield law, I guess California That's has right. a shield law. That's right. Which basically says that journalists um, are allowed to protect their anonymous uh, sources. Yeah. Now, you, you said something interesting there. You said that someone did something that they shouldn't have, and presumably that means they released information that they shouldn't have. That's not necessarily true. It's not, not necessarily, necessarily true that the information that the the person who gave the information to PowerPage, Apple Insider, whoever it's that person may or may not have been the one who did something technically wrong. Morally, is it wrong? Ethically, is it wrong? Those are questions you know outside of the realm of the courts, right? That we're talking about. Did they break the law by doing this? And there is no way to prove that they did. Did someone in the chain break the law? Maybe. But think about this, right? What happens if Apple contracts with a third party, right, to do their, uh, you know, something, right, building the case, designing a spec, whatever, and suppose there's some confusion, and I don't mean, you know, that somebody forgot, I mean, suppose there's some contractual confusion over what is confidential, what isn't confidential, and who is to be given this information, right? So let's say there's some lackey that works for one of these contractors that somehow falls uh, privy to to this information. If they're not under NDA with their with their superior, and then they go call up, you know, Apple Insider or whatever, and release this information, they didn't do anything wrong. Did their superior do something wrong? Maybe, right? Should they have released it to this person without? Binding them to an NDA, maybe. But if we're talking about some guy that's getting paid minimum wage to do some grunt job, well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, if I was working minimum wage, I wouldn't sign an NDA. You know, that's crazy. So, or uh, say you found it in the trash. Or right. Well, and again, even if you found something in the trash, there's. I'm sure that you know. I mean, if if Apple has has contracted with you know service bureau or whatever service you know provider 
to, to keep this information confidential, they shouldn't have put it in the trash. They should have shredded it. But again, someone made a mistake along the line. Someone did something they shouldn't do. Not necessarily the person that gave the information to the site. And, I, I you know, to me, it seems like that's a huge part of it because you just don't know. And here I am dropping things because I'm excited and talking with my hands and <laughs> just being a maniac. But but, so, um, but how do you feel about this? I know you're an Apple stockholder, John. So I, I'm curious as to your your opinion of the overall uh, the overall uh, ruling. <sighs> I am torn. I mean, yeah. from a stockholder point of view, Apple has to maintain their competitive edge. Yes. And the longer they they, they can keep their future product plans secret. The better, because not always, um, but a lot of times, as soon as Apple releases something, you get the wannabes. Yep. Like a good example is there's a Mac Mini knockoff that you may have seen, which is yes. virtually identical, though it's yes. an Intel processor. Yes. So the longer they can do that, the better. On the other hand, we have this wonderful thing, at least in the U.S. and most other countries, called freedom of the press. Yeah. And one of the things that they do, and it's not just... Uh, now, I would argue that, um, you know, releasing product information about a company that a lot of people are just gaga over is a little different than, for example, revealing the fact that there's a covert uh, program by the NSA that, you know, the government is, uh, you know, spying on certain people when they shouldn't have been. But that's a whole other area. That's right. That's right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. But th that has happened in the past. There have been, you know, certain things the government has done where somebody got a hold of info. And yep. uh, I would argue that it was the in the best interest of the public. Uh, and we may get a lot of mail about this or, well, or voice comments. But it's, yeah. a, it's a, sometimes in the best interest, it's, it's a check and balance. But once journalists, uh, on the other hand, as a, you know, tech journalist, uh, part-time, yep. um, you got You don't want to make it so that people are terrified of reporting anything, and that you know you're you're only going to get the 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 company line or the you know the news from the source itself, and not right. through uh, other sources. So the, the only I difference would err there on the side of go ahead. No, it, it, the only difference there, of course, is the government. It, it, you know, comparing a government to a, our government to a private company isn't really a, a fair comparison because the government works for all of us, right? Whereas mm -hmm. Apple, uh, you know, they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. Just like we at TMO can do whatever we want. Can someone sue us if we yes. do something wrong? Sure, go ahead and try. You know, it, it, that's it's a free country. And can someone sue yep. Apple if they do something wrong? Yes. Can someone sue the government if they do something wrong? Well, that gets really yeah. weird. You know, it's not well, a lot as of times. Well there, well, there are actually some uh, some lawsuits. Oh, yeah. They've got some stuff here where basically then the government can say, oh, this is under the state secret act. You right. cannot sue us because it's hush hush and it's secret and, and yeah. it's going to be the end of the world if there's a exactly. court case about this, which I don't know if that's yeah. the case. But yeah, I totally agree with you. The government works for me yes. and you. And you. At least that's the way I see it. That's the way it should be. All right, that's uh, that's that's a good spot, wow, as good just, a spot as any to uh, yeah. to veer back onto the tracks here. I think we're we're approaching the longest show we've ever done, but uh, that's what happens when we get excited. Next week, I think I think we are going to talk about remote access. The reason I've been putting this off is because it's been uh, like navigating a labyrinth trying to get a. Uh, Apple to send us a copy of Apple Remote Desktop. Looks like one is on its way. So we are going to talk about all of the uh, remote access options, ex accessing your Mac from remote. We've actually got a really cool, in innovative solution from a listener to uh, 
a, a query that I, I had posed a couple of weeks ago that ro- rolls into the whole remote access thing. So it's Tuesday now. It'll be Wednesday. Presuming that we can get a copy of ARD3 uh, in time for the show on Monday to look at, we will next. the next show will be remote access. Don't forget to go to Portable Media Expo in September. I believe John and I will be there, as well as Ricky Spiro, of course, from TMO's Ricky. other podcast. Oh, yeah, the weekly excellent. roundup. Uh, and, uh, of course, this is downloaded from Cashfly Hosting. We are proud members of the Backbeat Media Podcast Network and uh, audio comments, right? Mac Geek Gab at MacObserver.com, or you can call us, 206-666-GEEK! Geek! 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 <laughs> just one geek. Uh, oh, no, no, no. You can just keep dialing it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's the way the phone yeah, system works. Yeah. yeah, you know how the phone system works, man. You know more than most yeah. people about the phone system. I and I, doing that stuff. I can attest to it. <laughs> Don't get caught. Ha, <laughs> ha,